0: We are a new uncharted territory in Colombian politics, and that's because for the first time in history, you have two outsiders from the usual political establishment in the country that will face off to become the next president.
1: Gustavo Petro and Rodolfo Hernández are facing a tight runoff election for the Colombian presidency. The leftist ex-rebel versus the businessman who's been called the king of TikTok. Petro heads to a second round of voting in June, where he will face a surprise contender. That's businessman Rodolfo Hernandez. They both represent a sharp departure from the country's political establishment that has been in power for over two decades. Sunday's results reflect a country hungry for change, with voters frustrated with Colombia's political elite who have historically dominated government. As Colombians head to the polls for the second time in three weeks to decide their new leader, we look at the two candidates and the conditions in the country that have people clamoring for change. I'm Natasha del Toro, in from Malika Bilal, and this is The Take.
0: My name is Alessandro Rampietti, and I'm Al Jazeera's correspondent here in Colombia.
1: So, Alessandro, on May 29th, Colombians voted for a new president, but candidate Gustavo Petro fell short of getting the 50% of the vote required to win. He only got 40%, and his main rival, Rodolfo Hernandez, got 28% of the vote. So now, soon, they're heading into a runoff election, and that's why we're talking to you today. Would you give us more context about the two contenders for this runoff election in Colombia? Who are they?
0: Absolutely, Natasha. On one side, you have Gustavo Petro, who is somewhat of a traditional leftist. And also, and that's very important here in Colombia, in his youth, he participated in an illegal armed group, the M-19, which was an urban, more intellectual guerrilla group that operated until they made a peace deal with the uh, Colombian government back in 1990. He has been very successful at uniting what used to be a very divided left in Colombia. He's also done a great job of sort of gathering much of the discontent that exists. Ojo con el cambio, puede haber cambios que son... There are changes that are empty. There are changes that don't lead to real change. We want to invite all of Colombian society to embrace real change. So his contender now is Rodolfo Hernandez, who except for a short stint as mayor of a middle-sized city known as Bucaramanga, was completely unknown to the majority of Colombians. He is a businessman, somebody who has made his money Buying and selling land. We see that citizens have the will to end corruption as a system of government. Today, the country of cheap politics and corruption, lost. The corrupt who thought they would govern forever, lost. He is in many ways still an unknown, but he's been very successful in uh, focusing his campaign on ending corruption in the country, which is a message that worked with many Colombians.
1: Alessandro says that Rodolfo Hernández has also been portrayed in the international media as the Colombian Trump in a way to try to describe his candidacy.
0: Originally, he was seen as a right-wing populist, which puts him in a way in the same category with Trump. Also somebody who's coming in as an outsider who's saying, hey, I'm rich, so I don't need to make money through politics. I just want to change the system. The system as it is, it doesn't work.
1: Last year, Colombia saw some of the most violent protests against living conditions in decades. On the streets of Colombia, violent protests. After the country's president, Yvonne Duque, ordered 7,000 military personnel into the heart of an uprising. Protests erupted throughout the country against President Iván Duque's proposed tax legislation, but widened into other issues. Demonstrations which started against proposed tax reforms have turned into countrywide protests against poverty, inequality, and unemployment. Many of the protesters were young, some were minors, and dozens of people were killed and over a thousand injured. Protesters insist that they are being brutally targeted at their peaceful demonstrations. Amnesty International said that around a hundred people sustained eye trauma in clashes with police.
0: For the demonstrators, there's no way to know if it's rubber bullets or live rounds coming their way. And the
1: Ombudsman office said that at least two women complained of being sexually abused by police forces. The protests and the government's response to them helped tank President Duque's popularity to historic lows.
0: Roughly only 20% of Colombians support them.
1: Alessandro says that one of the reasons for Duque's unpopularity is his political affiliation with former President Álvaro Uribe, whose brand of politics has had a firm grip on the country.
0: He represents Uribismo, which is this right-wing, conservative ideology that has been in power for the last few decades in Colombia, and that now, for the first time in at least two decades or more, a majority of Colombians seem to be against.
1: Duque ran in 2018 on the promise of reforming the peace deal between the Colombian government and the leftist guerrilla group, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC. The accord was celebrated internationally and was supposed to end the longest-running conflict in the Western Hemisphere.
0: And the main issues here are, I think, the fact that Duque, while playing lip service to the implementation of the peace deal with FARC rebels, which was signed in 2016, has done relatively little to increase or move forward in the implementations of the reforms that came with that deal.
1: And because of its poor implementation, the country has continued to see internal displacement as a result of violence from armed groups.
0: And then the pandemic just made things worse. Poverty has increased. Almost 40 percent of the country is now again at the poverty level. And the increases that indeed have happened economically in the country in the last 15, 10 years have been lost in the pandemic, and many have seen Duque and the politics that he represents as responsible for it.
1: Alessandro says that no matter which candidate wins, there's no doubt who the real loser is in this race.
0: Not only Duque, but also the traditional conservative establishment in the country has been the loser of these election.
1: Last year, Gustavo Petro was on the streets with protesters. So how are young people influencing Petro's chance to win?
0: Well, Most people agree that young people could decide these elections.
1: It's been very difficult as a young Colombian to live in such precarious conditions when it comes to work and access to health and education. And I believe that Petro is betting on changing all of this.
0: They also happen to be the age groups that votes less. So uh, a big question is if indeed they will go out and vote on election day. In the first round, it seems like uh, Petro's campaign and in particular his uh, vice president nominee, Francia Márquez, has been very good at mobilizing the youth and the minority in the country. She's an Afro-Colombian who comes from poverty, from a town in the middle of the Colombian conflict. And that can explain how they were able to get almost eight and a half million votes in the first round. But definitely they can be an important decider, together with women, together with minorities, of what will happen on June 19th.
1: I know that in 2018, Gustavo Petro ran against Duque and lost What's different this time that makes him more viable?
0: It's important here to explain the context. There has never been a leftist president and administration in this country. In Colombia, traditionally, the left has been silenced, has been stigmatized, and has been always associated with the legal armed groups and guerrilla groups that operate in the country.
1: So this is a very big deal.
0: Absolutely. It could be a possibility for the country to move towards a more, if you want, normal election where the entire spectrum of politics in the country could come into power peacefully and legally. The truth is that still there is no majority for the left in this country. The demonstration is that Petro has managed to build an impressive coalition, but that represents 40% of the votes. Those are votes that he will not lose. The question is if he can reach 50%.
1: Talk to me about Pedro's plan, because he has a pretty well-defined plan. What is he planning to do if he were elected president?
0: Well, he's planning a major transformation of the economic system in, in the country. He is promising a major tax reform that would greatly increase taxes on the rich in in the country, close loopholes for businesses and the rich who he says pay very little. He is also proposing a major transition to green energy in the country. And he said the first thing that he will do is to stop all new exploration of oil fields and coal mining in the country and uh, some of these proposals are seen as very leftist, as very radical. And c- when you compare to traditional Colombian politics, they've always been business friendly, market friendly, and so forth.
1: Let's talk about the other candidate then. What change is Rodolfo Hernandez proposing?
0: Well, the truth is it's unclear because he's sort of a work in progress <laughs> and this is even the way he has been described by Angel Beccasino, who is his main campaign and communication strategist. He has recognized that Rodolfo's program is not specific on several topics. Uh, even if he's proposing himself and saying, since I'm an outsider, I can come in and get rid of all corruptions and all corrupted politicians. But when you go into specifics, uh, it's really unclear. I'll give you some examples. He was before in favor of fracking, for example, pilots in the country. Now he's saying he is against those. He has also been described by his own campaign as a man of wisdom rather than knowledge, because he often has shown in his many gaffes that he doesn't know a lot of things of the country. He even didn't know where one of the country's departments or state is. And it's the same with a lot of different parts of the government that he simply seems not to really have an idea of what they do and how they worked.
1: But the list doesn't end there. Alessandro says Rodolfo Hernandez has also been controversial when voicing his opinions.
0: He's got under fire for essentially saying that the best place for women is in the kitchen and at home raising children. He then tried to backtrack on that, as he has done on many other issues. He has labeled a local fire department fat and lazy, and once he's famous for having declared his admiration for Adolf Hitler. He then said that was a mistake. The There is an old man, so sometimes he makes mistakes and instead he meant to say Albert Einstein.
1: I know that he's the anti-corruption candidate, but, you know, Rodolfo Hernandez has a past. He's facing corruption charges. His trial starts three weeks after this election, this presidential election. What is he accused of?
0: He's accused of alleged irregularities in the distribution of garbage collection when he was a mayor of Bucaramanga and essentially favoring a company linked to one of his sons. So this is an active investigation that will start on July 21st. Many people were hoping this could start before the elections. Instead, his lawyers were able to move it to afterwards. If that happens, then his case will move to Congress and the Supreme Court because he will be an elected president. And there is no precedent really for something like this in Colombia. So we're going to see what happens if that indeed is the case. You also have 30 open investigations for other actions, including defamation, workplace harassment. He was also suspended when he was a mayor of Bucaramanga for slapping in the face, a council member that accused him of being corrupt.
1: In terms of how he has been able to get his message out to people, talk to me a little bit about his campaign and how he has been very active on social media.
0: This has been a really successful and surprising campaign. He is the self-defined king of TikTok, which has been his preferred platform, together with Instagram, to get his message out.
1: Hernandez got a late boost thanks to a colourful campaign on social media like TikTok.
0: He hasn't done a single public appearance in front of a crowd throughout this election. I don't know if there's any precedent for a campaign, a presidential campaign, that happened essentially exclusively on the internet with quirky, fun videos, with reggaeton music of the 77-year-old doing exercise, showing funny sunglasses, promising to go after corrupt politicians as if he was some senior superhero. Vagabundos son Yet it worked. Uh, and Petro had to adapt and change his way of campaigning in the second round because Most of the campaign is happening on people's phones.
1: It's pretty remarkable to me that you have these two candidates, one who has really laid out a plan, and the other one who has not articulated his plan, but he's basically neck and neck with the other candidate because of TikTok?
0: I think there's two things. People don't want a traditional politician. And even if Petr is an outsider, he is more of a traditional politician than Rodolf. So that's one thing. The second thing is there is an important part of the population that would never vote for a former guerrilla. They don't care how much he has changed and about his proposals. It's simply something they will not do. And also, there is also fear of a leftist government in this country that has never had a leftist government. And also uh, the conservatives have done a good job of scaring people about the possibility that a leftist government could turn Colombia into another Venezuela that has had a major economic, social and political crisis for years now following decades of the left in power.
1: But Alessandro says that Hernández is not necessarily winning just yet. It seems as if he's been losing some support right after the May 29th first round.
0: He was seen as the new frontrunner because with his 28% plus the traditional right-wing votes, he could have reached the 52%. And that's what the first polls showed right after the first round. But since then... As people hear about him more, he seems to be losing part of the support he got on the in the first round and we've seen Petro going slightly up.
1: So the difference between the two candidates was 10% last month, right? But according to the most recent and the final poll for this election, Hernandez reached 48.2% of the vote preference and Pedro got 472 So there, I mean, this is really, it's really tight. What can this mean in a country that last year faced such intense protests on the street? I mean, do you think that this could translate into people taking the streets again, depending on which candidate wins?
0: Well, both candidates have talked about the possibility of fraud and vote buying. So if This indeed ends up being a very close election. There is a risk that one of the candidates will not recognize the result. And there is a high risk. I think it's higher if Petro loses. Among those who participated in the protest, there is expectations for Petro to win and that he can indeed bring the change they're looking for, starting with police reform in the country. If that is not the case, it's possible that frustration could turn into more protest if Hernandez wins,
1: Alessandro, you're Italian, but you've been living in Colombia for the last 10 years and now you have family there. You have children who are Colombians. So what's your hope for your children's country?
0: Natasha, uh, there's no doubt that after a decade here and having children who are also Colombian, I feel a special attachment with this country. And I swing greatly between optimism and pessimism when it comes to the future of Colombia. I think that it shares with other Latin American countries this promise of change, of progress. And I hope that whoever will govern Colombia for the next four years will build on that progress and offer to many Colombians that suffer some answers and hopefully push this country towards bigger progress and more stability.
1: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, Alexander Locke, Ruby Zaman, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in from Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, Aya El and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. We'll be back on Monday.